Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage, a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to end our little mini-series on the military career and the political career of General Ulysses S. Grant. And on our last show, we talked about General Grant from the fall of Vicksburg all the way through the Army of Northern Virginia, Robert E. Lee's army, finally surrendering at Appomattox. And then a little bit, we looked at General Grant, who is now the Lieutenant General of the Army, which today would be a four-star general. He is the only one to hold that rank. After President Lincoln is assassinated, General Grant and his wife, Julie, were summoned to come back to Washington, D.C., because now, with all the problems that are going on, with all the commotion going on, General Grant needs to be back in Washington, D.C., one, to oversee the last six weeks of the war, because there's two Confederate armies out there still fighting, and then also to give stability to the military. We don't know what's going to happen. President Lincoln has been assassinated. Andrew Johnson has now been instilled as president. We have no idea exactly for the longest time exactly what's going on. It's very similar to after 9-11. We weren't quite sure because there was so much commotion going on if another shoe was going to drop or something else was going to happen. So it's very similar to after President Lincoln is assassinated, that General Grant is back in Washington, D.C., and President Andrew Johnson now is heavily going to rely on Ulysses S. Grant being the commanding officer of all the Union armies. So with July 5th of 1866, which is a little over a year after the war, Congress appointed Grant to the newly created rank of General of the Army. He was the General of the Army. Today, that would be very equivalent to one of our four-star generals. The difference is this. Today, we can have many four-star generals. When it was first created by Congress in 1866, only one person could hold that rank at a time. And the person to hold that rank was Ulysses S. Grant. He was the general of the army. And again, if we remember Grant's beginnings, where he was held back and not commissioned by George McClellan, or then by Henry Halleck, or by the rumors that were circling around General Grant and his character and his personality, not only did he defeat the Army of the Potomac and he oversaw every Union army, now Congress appoints him to the newly created position of the only four-star general, and he is now general of the army. So we see this tremendous, this tremendous respect that the men at the time had for Ulysses S. Grant. Grant, as general of the army, had uh, several different thinkings than President Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson believed that Robert E. Lee and all the Confederate officers should be indicted for high crimes of treason. General Grant argued against President Johnson because he was the one who Lincoln gave the terms for at Appomattox. And General Grant knew that if all the Confederate officers were arrested and tried for high crimes of treason, is that actually going to heal 
any of the wounds that four years of this tremendously tragic war had upon our nation. So Grant was adamant that Andrew Johnson was wrong and that the Confederate officers and Lee should not be arrested for high crime or treason. And so he came to loggerheads with Andrew Johnson. Well, Grant threatened that if Andrew Johnson was going to do this, that he would resign. And he was resigned as the four-star general, the general of the army, after he promised Lee at Appomattox the surrender terms. Fortunately, Andrew Johnson backed away from wanting to arrest Lee and the other Confederate officers because General Grant knew that that was not going to do anything to help heal the wounds of our nation. It's hard for us to understand, being from the North, that General Grant was not unpopular in the South. And the reason he was not unpopular, even though he defeated Lee, was that people saw what Grant was trying to do to help protect Southern citizens, Southern Confederate officers, Southern Confederate soldiers in the South. Andrew Johnson saw this. So Andrew Johnson sent General Grant on a tour of the Southern states. And what General Grant saw was just beyond description of the carnage that General Grant saw, the human waste of life, the carnage of cities being destroyed. And now that the South was totally in ruins, how it could be rebuilt and how it could be healed as far as the feelings of Northern states and Southern states and politically, what are we going to do to bring these states who had tried to secede from the Union, how are we going to bring them back to their constitutional rightful place in Congress? Major problems that we have here. One of the things that General Grant supported was the Freeman's Bureau. And the Freeman's Bureau gave provisions, clothing, and fuel, and immediate and temporary shelter, and destitute refugees all throughout the South, the, the Freeman's Bureau, which now there was a tremendous amount of people, whether they were freed slaves or they were the, the whites of the South. A lot of these people were absolutely destitute because of the war. Oftentimes, President Johnson was accused of being too lenient on the South, and the politicians accused Johnson of being that way because he was from Tennessee. And of course, we know Tennessee is technically, geographically, a Southern state, even though it remained loyal or it had to remain loyal to the Union as a border state. So General Grant oftentimes had to be in favor of what Andrew Johnson wanted to do. And it would be a national disgrace to continue to punish the South for what was going on. And so we see Grant now as the Lieutenant General, General of the Army, now in what politically he's being, he's seeing what is trying to happen in the South and how he needs to help heal the wounds of the nation, which really started at Appomattox. So in 1868, Andrew Johnson realizes that he doesn't like the presidency. It's not going well for him. He is not liked by many people in Washington. He was actually impeached. He was our first president to be impeached. He was not convicted in the Senate by one vote. 
the Republicans in Washington, D.C. really disliked Andrew Johnson, wanted him out of Washington, and they pretty much set him up with some bogus laws to entrap him, to get him impeached. He was not convicted. So by 1868, Andrew Johnson doesn't even think about running in the election of 1868. And so the Republicans ask General Grant to be their candidate. Very similarly, in 1951, 1952, where the Republicans asked General Dwight D. Eisenhower to be their candidate. Grant said that he would run, and his slogan would be, let us have peace. Let us have peace. So Grant ran on as the Republican in 1868, as a general in 1868. He ran on the the slogan of let us have peace. And his quote was in his nomination, I have no prejudice against any sect or any race, but I want each individual to be judged by his own merits. It's very similar to MLK's I have a dream speech. I have no prejudice against any sect or any race, but I want each individual to be judged by his own merits. And if we think about that, that is not only now freed slaves, it is also Native Americans. And, and we see that throughout Grant's presidency. So in 1868, Grant won by over 500,000 votes over Horatio Seymour. The Electoral College was 214 to 80. It was a landslide. General Grant was the youngest elected president through his time. He was the youngest elected president up through 1868. And then we see later on who was the youngest elected president, which was John Kennedy, and the youngest president being Theodore Roosevelt. Grant, our 18th president, was the youngest elected president up through 1868 at age 46 years old. During his presidency from 1869 through 1877, we see that Grant ratified and he pushed for the ratification of the 15th Amendment, which is what we call one of the Civil War Amendments. And basically, government can't deny citizens' right to vote. Government cannot deny any citizen to right to vote. So the 15th Amendment guarantees the right to vote. And, and we see that Grant really pushed for that and supported that, the ratification of the 15th Amendment. He called for the proper treatment, quote unquote, of all Native Americans, because if we think, we know now what's going on in the West, and we know what's going on. So President Grant called for the proper treatment of all Native Americans. And again, we see this in much of his legislation. He also appointed James Longstreet, a general that he fought against as a general of the Confederacy a member of his wedding party. He appointed James Longstreet to be the surveyor of customs of New Orleans. And that is important because remember, New Orleans is a port. And so there could be a lot of unethical and unlawful situations going on there. James Longstreet supported Ulysses S. Grant in his presidency. James Longstreet became a Republican after the war, which was very unpopular with all of his friends in the Confederacy. And James Longstreet was now appointed the Surveyor of Customs. 
Well, another piece of legislation that you listen to, he called for legislation to have a Yellowstone National Park. And now we see that the, the enormity and how important Yellowstone uh, National Park is. Well, it was Grant's presidency that really pushed for that. Grant was also very sympathetic towards women's rights. And he supported the women's suffrage movement. And his quote was, he wanted equal rights to all citizens, regardless of their race, their creed, their color, or their sex. So Grant really began to push for equal rights for women. And that really was the beginning of the women's equal rights movement, which a lot of people don't realize that it really started with Ulysses S. Grant supporting early women's suffrage and openly and publicly supporting it. President Grant also appointed over 50 Jewish American citizens to federal offices. 50 Jewish American citizens to federal offices, which up until that time, the Jewish people had been shunned from political office. He appointed Edward Salmon to the territorial governor of Washington. That is the first time that a Jewish person had ever occupied a governor's seat. So it was Grant who appointed Edward Solomon to be the territorial governor of the future state of Washington. Grant also openly supported the Jewish American B'nai B'rith. If we remember, Russian Tsar was trying to push Jewish people out of Russia, and he was very successful at doing that. So Grant openly supports the Jewish American B'nai B'rith Society so he's now supporting some minority groups. In October of 1871, under martial law, General Grant put on trial several LDS members for polygamy. It was law that polygamy was outlawed, and including uh, Brigham Young. Now, they were put under martial law, but that eventually this is where we see Latter-day Saints finally doing away with polygamy. In 1873, we see Grant supporting the Comstock Act, which we wish that we could have more people like this today. It, it, the Comstock Act was immoral and it was indecent to have any sort of pornography through the mail. Let me say that again. The Comstock Act was immoral and it was indecent for any type of pornography to be put through the federal mail system. And so we see the, again, we see the piety of now President Ulysses S. Grant and his support for piety and his support to end any sort of pornography, particularly being, being allowed through the United States postal system. In Reconstruction, we see again major support for the 15th Amendment, which basically also says that no state can disenfranchise any African-American. And so he was a great supporter of that. And because now that we see, unfortunately, when President Grant is no longer the president, we could see how Reconstruction fell apart and the, the awfulness of the Jim Crow laws and segregation that takes us all the way into the 1960s. Grant created, with Congress, the Justice Department. He helped create the Justice Department, and he allowed or gave authority to the Attorney General and the Solicitor General to begin to prosecute the Ku Klux Klan. Grant 
politically and legally went after the destruction of the Ku Klux Klan. And we see how Grant felt towards bigotry, towards segregation, towards considering anybody that was not equal with anybody else in the United States. So he allowed the federal government to begin to prosecute the KKK. And by 1862, we see that basically the Ku Klux Klan's power had totally collapsed. And unfortunately, later on, it began to rise in power again. But it's Ulysses S. Grant who legally went after the Ku Klux Klan. He also signed the Civil Rights Act of 1875. General Grant also had tremendous legislation to help protect Native Americans. Grant said, the creator did not place races of men on earth for the stronger to destroy the weaker. Let me say that again. General Grant, when he was talking about Native Americans, he said, the creator did not place races of men on earth for the stronger to destroy the weaker. And so what Grant also did is he signed legislation for the Board of, of Indian Commissioners, and that helped reduce the corruption towards Native Americans. And we see how that struggle went on. We see how the struggle of, of Reconstruction went on and the segregation that continued on after President Grant's two terms in, in Washington, D.C. General Grant thought he could annex Santo Domingo that was uh, failed. He, he supported a, another treaty, the Treaty of Washington, that where he supported Cubans brewing them themselves, not Spain and Cuba. Uh, he opened up free trade within the nation of Hawaii. Uh, the Public Credit Act of 1869, where bondholders, bond, bondholders would be replaced by coin of equivalent value and our full return to the gold standard of which we stayed on through uh, President Nixon. Unfortunately, there were some scandals during his presidency. President Grant brought some of his friends and colleagues into Washington, D.C., and they completely took advantage of President Grant's possibly lack of political savvy. And there were several uh, scandals during his presidency. Several of his appointees were accused and convicted of taking bribes. Nothing to do, though, with President Grant. So that put somewhat of a damper over the, the, the Grant presidency. By the end of the second term, President Grant decided he had had enough and was ready for him to come out, go leave the stage in Washington. Interestingly, Julie wanted him to run for a third term. And she really, really loved to be loved being in the White House and all the, the wonderful things she did as the first lady. She really hoped that President Grant would run for a third term. And when he decided not to run for a third term, she was quite upset and quite angry at her president for not running on a third term, which he would have easily won. Four years later, uh, the Republicans came back to, to President Grant in 1880 and asked him if he would run for a third term, of which uh, Graham said no. Uh, Grant was, by this, four years later, he was sick. Uh, he was not feeling well. He went on a ward, world tour with his wife, and he decided that, um, no, he had had enough and he would not run for a third term. 
Unfortunately, we see many business failures after the grand presidency. He lost a tremendous amount of money by investing in a company that was owned by his son and uh, uh, another person. And they, unfortunately, President Grant went broke through the unethical behavior of his son's business partner. And so we end up seeing President Grant, who was now flat broke, and he was now sick. And the Century Magazine came to, to President Grant and offered him $50, or excuse me, $20 for every article that he would write for their magazine. And by this time, President Grant, he, had, he was sick. He had uh, throat cancer and tongue cancer, and he know, knew he was he was very sick and, and he wouldn't be much longer on the earth. Well, his friend, Mark Twain, offered him 70% royally if General President Grant would write his memoirs. And Mark Twain offered him 70% royalty and paid him up front for the royalty to his memoirs. And so President Grant began to write his memoirs. They were, are incredible. Grant was a wonderful, wonderful writer. He actually went up to, in his last uh, few weeks of life, up to Wilton, New York, to finish up the memoirs up at the summer cottage where he finished his memoirs. And we see pictures of Grant. Uh, wrap, he was wrapped in a blanket. He was very thin because we knew he was a dying man. Well, just a, a couple of days before he died, President Grant finished his memoirs, and he was only 63 years old when he passed away. After he finished his memoirs, uh, the royalties from his book, Julia received $450,000 from the royalties of President Grant's memoirs that Mark Twain, Grant's friend, gave him that offer. And today, that would be a little over $13 million that Julie Grant was able to receive because of Grant's memoirs that were very popular. Grant is buried in New York City. And he's buried next to his life in the largest uh, mausoleum in North America. General Sherman, General Sheridan, and the Confederate General Simon Bolivar were Paul Barras along with uh, Joseph E. Johnston at his funeral. And Mississippi State University, a southern state, is the location where the U.S. Grant Library is located. So Grant is buried in New York City in the largest mausoleum. And I suggest you, you look at that. It's in Spanish Harlem. It's the largest mausoleum in America. And so the age-old joke is, who's buried in Grant's tomb? The answer really is no one. Grant and Julie are buried in sarcophagus, so they are not technically buried. They're in a sarcophagus in that mausoleum. So again, this is a very broad overview of the political life of Ulysses S. Grant and the success that Grant had as president. Unfortunately, with some of the scandals of his friends during his presidency, it overshadows the um, civil rights and the, the rights for women and the rights of minorities that Grant stood for during his presidency and how he helped try to heal the wounds uh, through the early stages of Reconstruction. I encourage you to read Grant's memoirs. I encourage you to read, again, the newest books out by Brett Baer called To Rescue the Republic, and that's about more like the political life of Ulysses S. Grant. 
look at all the sources, put them all together, make your decision, and see how Ulysses S. Grant was a very popular president. All, most people wanted him to run for a third term, and how successful he, he was as a general in the United States military. Ulysses S. Grant, a man that helped rescue the nation, and a man that helped save the nation in April of 1865. This is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty.